1: Hello, friends and neighbors. It's about 8.30 in the morning on this Friday, February 9. Welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. (laughs) And what a week it's been. Starting with Tuesday, a day from hell for congressional Republicans, in one afternoon, Senate Republicans shot down a bipartisan border bill crafted by two of their own and supported by Mitch McConnell. While in the House, Republicans couldn't deliver enough votes to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, and just a few minutes later, they couldn't deliver enough votes to pass their own standalone aid for Israel. That same day, a federal court told Donald Trump, no, as former president, you do not have total immunity. You are not above the law, and now the Supreme Court will decide whether or not he should even be on the ballot which didn't stop candidate Trump from winning one more state or Nikki Haley from losing the same state, even though under bizarre Nevada rules, they were not on the ballot on the same day. Meanwhile, Joe Biden was having a great week until yesterday when the special counsel, while not filing charges against him for hoarding top security documents in his office and home garage, did paint him as a nice old man who can't remember shit. Well, political reporters had to run fast to keep up with this week's news, including today's roundtablers. Igor Babish, back with us, senior politics reporter from HuffPost. Hello, Igor. Hey, Bill. Great to have you here. John Bennett, also back with us, editor-at-large with CQ Roll Call and writer of the CQ Afternoon Briefing. Hello, John.
2: Hello, Bill. Thanks for having me.
1: Glad you're there, and joining us for his debut on the reporters' roundtable, a good old friend from my uh, talk radio days, Evan McMorris Santoro, reporter for the brand new nonprofit online news service, Notice, Notus N O T U S. Hey, Evan, welcome.
0: Good morning. Thanks for having me, Bill.
1: Okay, so it's hard not to start with uh, Joe Biden's bed day yesterday. Yes, the special counsel, Robert Hurst, said he wasn't going to file any charges, um, that Joe Biden did cooperate fully. Uh, it was just an accidental oversight, his words, that these documents may have ended up in his home garage. But, 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 sitting down with him, one reason he said he didn't file charges is because Joe Biden just came across as an old guy, a nice guy, a gentle guy but didn't remember anything. John Bennett, uh, that's the second part that everybody's going to remember and is focusing on, right? Not good for Biden.
2: No, no definitely not good for Biden. I thought Mr. hers report was, well, it was unique. We can say that. Um, I don't recall anything quite like this, especially a sitting president, especially a sitting president um, who is running for re-election. I mean, the president was out in New York this week, uh, raising money for his reelection campaign. Uh, it just—we um, we don't know all the reasons why Mr. Her put some of the details in his report that he did. I think it's fair to question um, whether um, whether whether the the anecdote about um, President Biden allegedly not remembering um, the timing of his son Beau's death was just kind of proper, the right thing to do, to put that in the report. Um, and the president last night came out in, in a rather impulsive primetime appearance that might have backfired uh, on, on Joe Biden and, and said just that, that how would he not remember his son's uh, unexpected death at a, at a very young age? And so now it's 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 who do you believe? Do you believe um, hers impression of a deposition interview, or do you believe um, um, you know the father of Bo Biden, who talks about Bo Biden a lot? Uh, It comes up a lot when when he's uh, talking about uh, fallen troops. His son was, uh, of course, uh, a soldier in in Iraq, and um, you know it's just another confusing data point for voters as they start to think about this 81-year-old president and his his 77-year-old likely opponent, Donald Trump, in the general election. Um, but it was not a good day for Joe Biden. It could have been, um, you know, you do get the sense that that his appearance last night was very impulsive. He was, he was clearly upset. Who wouldn't be, uh, given that the report mentioned his late son, um, so it was a it was a mixed bag week for Joe Biden, and last night just felt like an unforced error. And I guess no one on his staff could convince him, sir, just sleep on it. If you want to address it in front of the cameras tomorrow, you know we can make that happen. There's a press pool, um, but but President Biden went ahead uh, last night with those remarks, and it it didn't come over as a great look. He he got he got angry with MJ Lee, a female reporter from CNN who who asked him about polling and and it's clear in the polling MJ was right that voters do have concerns about his age and his mental sharpness and Biden snapped back and we haven't seen that a lot in this presidency and and I I think it it was very telling last night what we saw from Joe Biden
1: yeah uh Igor I don't know whether you had a chance to see any of that news conference but Joe Biden has uh Uh, John mentioned he did snap back at the CNN reporter. Uh, He was clearly angry. He was clearly upset uh, when he was asked about Bo. And he also snapped back at uh, Peter Ducey, who's been a favorite foil of his from from Fox News. Um, Here's just a little clip from that exchange. President Biden,
3: something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning Elderly man with a poor memory.
1: I'm well meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out.
3: is your memory and can you continue as president?
1: My memory is so bad I can let you speak. That was Peter <laughs> Ducey jumping in at the very end there. uh it, 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 it It's hard to say. Uh, maybe they just couldn't stop Biden from going out there, Igor. What was your take on that? presser last night
3: yeah i mean you're right i, I think he was angry and it, it was a little shades of trump in there um you know given trump's appearances before the white house press corps and sparring with them uh but i i, I gotta say i enjoyed the the doocy back and forth it, peter Deucey is a guy that biden loves to spar with and he yeah, quite frequently yeah. there's many burns that, that he goes out there and and tells uh peter to kind of pipe down but um, I, I think that'll be the White House strategy from this point on, is try to deploy humor to to kind of um, get around this report. Uh, he's done that even before this latest row over his age. You know, he kind of mm-hmm. uh, self-deprecatingly r- refers to his age. But but look, we've known Joe Biden as an old man for quite a while now. And not only that, he he's an old man who even before he was old uh, would have trouble um speaking coherently uh you know he gaffs. he's the gaffer in chief he he was there he was doing that uh, under Barack Obama even before as a senator so he has got this freewheeling reputation and um i think the uh the the media firestorm going on right now is we're we're all sort of in a frenzy but uh, i think that's getting lost in there a little bit and even you know Trump uh, as recently as uh, yesterday, I believe, mixed up uh, Victor Orban and Hungary with with uh, Erdogan and Turkey. Uh, he's done this several times now. He's mixed up uh, Nancy Pelosi with Nikki Haley. Said that Na- that Nikki Haley was in charge of security on January sixth. So you know we've got two old guys running for president. And this is going to happen more and more.
1: There you go, uh, Evan. Uh, I'll tell you my first reaction when I heard about the Robert Heard report was. This was a James Comey moment. <laughs> uh, and so it, I'm sure you remember, too, uh, why that's, I think, an appropriate take, right? And a lot of people saw it that way.
0: I mean, uh, look, the important thing, right, the important thing from the, from the support, right, Robert Hur was hired to figure out if the president of the United States had broken any criminal laws and should be charged for that over his handling of classified documents, which, of course, became a very big deal because of the other uh, president, former president, running for president, <laughs> yeah. and his handling of classified documents. Um, and, you know, the Robert Hertz Report makes a very clean and and, and and big distinction between Biden's handling of these classified documents. Uh, you know, they were made them were his own notes. They were placed in sort of precariously in places around his house. But, you know, when they wanted to go find them, access was granted. The president sat down and did the interviews. Um, Whereas Trump, of course, is like maybe hidden them in places and tried to uh, prevent people from coming and had to be raided by the FBI famously to get these documents back. So that's sort of the meat of the thing. And that's sort of what Robert Hur's job was actually to do. But then you look at this other stuff that he added in this, like, why Mm -hmm. didn't I charge the president? Which, of course, prosecutors all the time don't charge things because they think they can't get a jury to actually uh, convict somebody on a charge. But in laying out his explanation for these charges, he did that thing like Comey did uh, back when Hillary Clinton was running for president, which, you know, he looked into her emails and said, you know, we're closing this investigation. There's nothing criminal here that we can see, but she really behaved terribly. And this is really awful. And um, that, of course, dogged her throughout the rest of the campaign. um, And Comey sort of later on felt kind of sheepish about it. Yeah. It is a and remember, if I moment. could just, just jump yeah, in and please. say
1: that was like maybe a week before the election, right? So the well, timing. That was the second, of it, time. That was the second yeah. time,
0: right? The first time it came out, and then it right. the second, it, yeah. it came back to haunt later on. You know, there are two things going on here. One is this idea of what are these special counsels for, and what are you actually seeing when you see this report? Um, and there's so much in it that uh, you can see Democrats today are upset. Uh, former Attorney General Eric Holder. Uh, was questioning some of the language that was used in this in this report today when it comes to uh you know Biden and, and, and his his mental capacity and, and memory and stuff like that. And the other side is as uh John was mentioning and Igor mentioned a little bit, this is not like new news that Biden is <laughs> old. Right. And what has sort of been surprising, I do think that is worth some actual questions. You know, my colleague Jasmine Wright and I at notice were working the phones last night as this came out. And a lot of people we were talking to were just sort of wondering, you know, this has been a thing everyone has been expecting would become a centerpiece of the campaign at some point. And it didn't seem like last night, despite the fact that this is the most known known about Joe Biden, that his campaign was really completely ready for it. Um, So there is going to be some questions about that. But it's not like any new facts came out really specifically his, his age. But we did learn a lot about kind of the special counsels and how they do things, yeah, and also and how they came in to deal with this kind of moment like this.
1: Well, John Bennett, we also learned about uh attorney generals and how they handle stuff like this. First of all, Merrick Garland hired Robert Herr, he hired a special counsel uh, to look into his president, right? The president who appointed him, and then unlike when uh Robert uh, Bill Barr uh came out with the um. the the report on Donald Trump, and basically misquoted it, misrepresented it when when it was released. Merrick Garland just let Robert Hur rip, you know, with his own conclusions. Uh, Do you think maybe Joe Biden regrets this morning appointing Merrick Garland as Attorney General?
2: I don't. I, I don't. I really don't. And, you know, President Biden promised after four years of Donald Trump um, you know, putting his thumb on the operations of the Justice Department uh, to have an, a very independent Justice Department. He has said since the transition that he would stay out of DOJ matters, that that it was important for American democracy and the American justice system for uh, Justice Department officials to uh, be able to do what they felt was right and not have uh, the president and, and his his political ambitions and his, his personal interests um, involved in decision-making and, and boy, yesterday, Joe Biden got an independent <laughs> DOJ. Uh, but I don't, I don't.
1: I, did he des- ever? Des- yeah.
2: Yeah. Despite, uh, despite, you know, he's clearly angry as, as everyone here agrees uh, about what the contents of the report, but you know, once the president calms down um And if he's asked about it, you know, reporters will get a couple shots at him today, I believe, at the White House. Um, And maybe that that question comes up. But at his core, you know, this is the Justice Department that that Joe Biden wanted. And and I I don't think he he regrets um, hiring Merrick Garland. He's had nothing but um, but positive things to say about um, the attorney general's tenure Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you you have to take the good with the bad, and he got some bad yesterday.
1: <laughs> All right, so uh, the Biden uh, report yesterday certainly overshadowed what might have been the biggest story of the week, and that was a decision that came down on Tuesday in response to this claim by Donald Trump and this plea by Donald Trump to the D.C. Court of Appeals. Here's the former president. Just, uh, I think it was just yesterday.
0: There is nothing more important to a presidency than immunity, because they have to be free to make decisions without saying, oh, if I do this or if I do that, as soon as I get out of office, we're going to be indicted. If you don't have immunity, you can be blackmailed. You cannot allow a president to be out there without immunity.
1: So, Igor, I think we can conclude that the D.C. appeals court did not necessarily agree with Donald Trump. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, uh, the ruling was unanimous. The three, uh, pan- three judge panel uh, ruled against Trump's claims of immunity. I mean, this case was obvious from the start. I think the only question everybody had was what was taking the court so long. I believe they deliberated for over a month, and, um, yeah, yeah. and I think they were trying to get their ducks in a row and write a uh, uh, airtight opinion that um, that will stand up where everybody knows this is going is, I think, the Supreme Court um, and what they're going to end up doing with it. And um, as you saw, they slapped Trump down, called him Citizen Trump, uh, said he did, <laughs> not, he did not have immunity from prosecution. That would mean that, you know, why would our entire system uh, of, uh, why would it, the republic even exist, essentially, if, if this was allowed? to be the case. And I think this case was the biggest news of the week, because it means that uh, Trump's legal troubles are only about to get even greater, and you're going to see him get even angrier. And so I I think that the campaign will uh, start to revolve more around this uh, as an issue. Uh,
1: Yeah, Eric, uh, Evan, I'm sorry, I was going to ask you that same question. I mean, this has huge implications, as Igor suggested, because it it also applies to every one of the cases against him, right? Not just to, um, the January 6th case, but it also, um, has a great impact on his campaign schedule because it means he's going to be in court this this spring or this summer where he has to sit there cooling his heels when he'd rather be out on the
0: campaign trail. Yeah. This is an amazing week because I really do think that, you know, the holidays are over. You've now, we're now fully into 2024, and you're getting a preview of what the rest of the year is going to look like. And the reality of the situation is, is that even on these days like Biden had yesterday, which was objectively not a good day for his campaign, it's important to remember that the Republican nominee has fixed on the calendar dozens of terrible days built right in <laughs> to his schedule. He's going to be on trial multiple times. Um, you know, He's going to be having to deal with these issues he doesn't want to talk about, things he doesn't want to get into. Um, definitely not the kind of things that anybody who's a Republican that wants to win the White House back would like to be the center of attention is going to be a huge part of this campaign forever. And there has been an attempt like they, you know, they have hoped that the courts might do some stuff for them. There was some, maybe some thought that the Supreme Court yesterday uh, might help them out on this 14th Amendment problem that, they, that right. popped up across the country. Um, but it's clear the court system is not letting Donald Trump go. They were going to they have him in his grasp uh, in their grasp, but he will be in front of judges and juries multiple times this year while he's campaigning for president. I mean just the, the, it's just the most remarkable thing <clears throat> to imagine that this is where we find ourselves, that this week that you're looking at right now that, that what happened yesterday in the Supreme Court, the day before that in the, in, in the other court, and then what happened with Joe Biden, that is what this campaign is going to be like. And it is very, very strange to imagine it. But it's also important to remember that, like, the person with the worst end of this stick still remains Donald Trump. Uh,
1: John, just uh, before we just take a quick break here, uh, maybe unfair to ask you, but because we all speculate about this anyhow in Washington. um, On this case, not the 14th Amendment case, on this immunity case, what do you think the Supreme Court will do? Do you think they'll even take up the case?
2: I thought before... I thought before the the, this most recent ruling that they would. Uh, I now think because the decision was unanimous that they don't have to take it up. And there there's a way for Chief Justice Roberts, uh, at least on this case, he he may not have this luxury uh, when some of the other uh, Trump matters and cases might uh, come before a court decision to take it up or not. I think I think uh he and the other justices to stay out of the election to 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 be seen as as staying out of politics at least on this one um can just stand by the lower court ruling and say it was unanimous and and we don't feel a need to take it up
1: yeah they so would probably uh to do that with relief that they don't have to get involved but we'll see what wow. happens on that and we'll be back with our panel a lot of other news of the week uh, particularly all the chaos in congress we didn't even get to yet we will right after this quick break and we'll be back with evan mcmorris centoro from notice john bennett from cq roll call and igor bobish from HuffPost. Mm-hmm. Today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, great men and women of the Teamsters Union across the country under the presidency of Sean O'Brien. They represented every aspect of the American labor movement from vegetable workers in California to construction workers in Las Vegas, brewery workers in St. Louis, and bakery workers in Maine. As they say, we represent everybody from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers. We salute the Teamsters, thank them for their great work for all of us, and thank them particularly for their support of the Bill Press Pod.
0: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?
1: We're back with today's Reporters Roundtable on a very, very busy and a very newsy week. Uh, joining us for the first time, and we welcome Evan McMorris-Santoro, reporter for the brand-new nonprofit online news service called Notice. Check it out. John Bennett, editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call and the writer for the CQ Afternoon Briefing, and Igor Babish, senior politics reporter for HuffPost. Uh, Igor, what a day Tuesday was in the House in the in the Congress for Republicans, as you tweeted out. It was a three strikes and you're out, right? No impeachment of Mayorkas, no Israeli aid bill, and no border package that Republicans had uh, played a big role in putting together. Um, have you ever seen
3: <laughs> such chaos in <laughs> in so few hours in Congress? Um, no, it was a it was a a stunningly um, embarrassing day for congressional Republicans. And, and, you know, maybe they don't have the capacity to be, to be embarrassed anymore, but I think <laughs> the House has proven that it, it's just not tired of uh, failing. It, it's going to overdo itself and how much failing it wants to do. And it just shows that uh, Speaker Mike Johnson um, is is really out of his depth. Um, he He's a backbencher who got picked for this job. And in some ways, it's not his fault. I mean, he, he has one of the smallest majorities uh, with some of the uh, uh, the most right-wing extreme people in office right now who just don't seem to be interested in uh, doing much and, and prefer to say no. And um, I think at the end of the day, they, they like fighting uh, their party's establishment more than they do Democrats and, and notching wins. And so you saw... Both uh, of these priorities for them fall after weeks and weeks of chaos and uh, House rules going down, these par- these partisan messaging bills that typically pass mm-hmm. and, and sail through. Um, and I think they're going to try again next week on, on Im- impeaching Mayorkas and may eventually get it um, with uh, Representative Steve Scalise coming back to Washington, and, and they may get the votes ultimately. But I think it's just another sign of, of how uh, incompetent Uh, this House Republican majority is and they're unable to not only pass uh, you know normal government functioning uh, funding bills but also uh, partisan uh, messaging bills that they should should theoretically be able to pass easily. Right
1: so Evan what surprised me most perhaps was that as this vote for impeachment came up the Speaker himself presided over the House right sort of I guess assuming he was going to have this great moment when he announced the impeachment of uh, the secretary. Instead, here is the speaker announcing the vote.
2: On this vote, the yeas are 214 and the nays are 216. The resolution is not adopted.
1: So here's my question, Evan. I never worked in the, in the Congress, but I did work in the California legislature. And the first lesson I remember learning from the state senator I worked for was: you never take a bill into a committee, or you never take a bill to the floor unless you know ahead of time you've got the votes. I mean,
0: <laughs> well, Didn't Bill, did like learn
1: just, lesson number one.
0: <laughs> yeah, Bill, I think you should write that down and send that, uh, you know, COD to. Uh, Mike Johnson and Mitch McConnell, because this week was a week of uh, lawmakers rolling out uh, bills Mm. that they didn't know they had the votes for uh, and rolling out uh, votes that they didn't have that, you know, they didn't know they were going to pass or not. I mean, it was truly a spectacular week in Congress. The interesting thing about working where I work uh, at this place, Notice is one of our things that we do is we bring in uh, many young uh, up and coming reporters who are trying to get their start. They work for us. We call them fellows. They're my they're my colleagues in the newsroom. And many of them, you know, they have never covered Washington before. And they started their first week on the Hill was when Kevin McCarthy uh, went down. And I uh, know they came back to the office and said, well, wow, Congress is really exciting. And I said, well, and then, of course, now it has ended with this week that we're <laughs> in now. This has been one of the wildest rides Congress has ever taken, to be honest, and truly, um, something like that impeachment vote congress 101 tells you you don't want to lose that vote like if if you're going to do the thing do the thing right and they couldn't do the thing and then they blamed it on the fact that a democrat showed up to vote that they didn't expect to show up to vote i mean it's it's just a it's it's a very bizarre way to run the congress and and i will tell you I'm, i'm making calls this week for a story i'm working on Democrats look at this week and they say it's very, very sticky for them on the Senate campaign trail and on the House campaign trail. They feel like this week has really shown uh, voters that the Congress is not doing its job and isn't able to sort of function very well. And Democrats at least feel like they can actually use it to their advantage in a way that I don't usually hear strategists talking about when it comes to the machinations on Capitol Hill, which don't generally translate into votes. In this case, people feel like they may be, be able to do it with this one. All right, so we talk about the House. John Bennett, let's
1: move over to the Senate for a second, right? So here Republicans said when aid to Ukraine first came, renewing aid to Ukraine came up, no, we're not going to do that. We need to link it, everything to the border. That's, that's the existential crisis, they called it, the border. So they won that argument. Then they said, here are all the, here are all, here's all the stuff on the border we need. They got all of that in their bill. Then they said, we need Mitch McConnell support. They got that. They said, we need the president's support. Biden said he would sign the bill. They've got all that going for them. And then they reject their own bill. Why? Because Donald Trump
2: calls a lot of them uh, at at all hours, excuse me, at all hours of the day, evening, night, overnight, morning, and told them to do something to get themselves the hell out of this agreement that Jim Lankford. Who is is no you know, you you could not credibly, though Donald Trump might try, uh, call Jim Lankford a rhino or a moderate. He is a very conservative Republican senator from Oklahoma who has a long record voting and and public statements um, to, to prove that his conservative credentials. Um, and he was the lead Republican negotiator on this. Um And they did get a lot. I stood in in Dirksen and Russell hallways in the Senate subway and listened to various Republican senators since October, when these talks started about a border package to slap onto this national security supplemental um, lay out what they would need to consider voting yes or vote yes. And, you know, the amnesty, the parole changes Um, Those were things that they all talked about. And and it it would look like they were going to get there until Trump caught wind of this and got on the horn and and talked a lot of them out of it. And he and they're not they're saying the quiet part out loud that, yes, Trump wants this as an issue and didn't want to hand Biden um, what would be a victory, even if it just passed the Senate. Uh, Trump thought that would be uh, damaging for his reelection campaign, and you know you can really feel it when you go to the Hill. Um, in my position, I'm I'm often there, not working on news of the day, I'm working on bigger picture stories. But um, you know the MAGA movement is very emotional. I think people don't realize that. When I was at the White House every day, um, you could feel when the boss during the Trump uh, term. <laughs> was upset the walls talked to you you could feel it and about last week sometime you could just feel it that something was up and and this deal was in big trouble and um yeah and and just going back to the house for one second um you know when you watch mike johnson's speakership um, sports fans might remember especially (laughs) dc sports fans might remember uh, a then-Washington Redskins coach uh, named Jim Zorn. And I'll just let listeners, you can Google that.
1: Uh, all right, leave it at that. Boy, you got <laughs> me stumped for sure. <laughs> but so, <laughs> Igor, uh, uh, so Donald Trump, uh, as John pointed out, he did make those calls, we know that. And he's very upfront about the fact that, yes, I take pride in the fact that I killed this border bill. Here is... Donald Trump.
0: I noticed a lot of the the senators are trying to say respectfully they're blaming it on me. I said, that's okay. Please blame it on me. Please.
1: Please blame it on me. (laughs) My question is, doesn't that give Biden a great opening in terms of an issue? We could have solved this problem except Republicans following Donald Trump's
3: lead killed it, right? And he's got their voices. He can run in his own ads. Absolutely. And I think um, that's what He and the White House and his campaign would have been focusing on, except now they have this headache of a report to deal with. And that's what all the media is focusing on. Uh, But I think you're right. He's going to go into this campaign uh, with uh, sort of a shield now. And any time that Republicans blame him for the problems at the border, he can go and say, well, uh, you know, you guys had an opportunity uh, to do something about it and you walked away. At the last second. And uh, I think it's going to be a compelling argument. And now whether uh, voters believe him or Trump is going to be another issue, because uh, what the polls are telling us is that Trump has a a large, large lead over Biden on the issue of immigration. Um, Now, I think Democrats are are hoping that this is going to be the thing that sort of uh, turns that around for him.
1: Right. Um, so I just want to close with one look at the national political scene. And Evan, I think that's more your territory than Igor or John. Um, let's look at what happened in Nevada this week. I mean, crazy rules where they had the caucuses one day and then the the primary, the next, or maybe I have them backwards, I guess, primary first and then the caucuses. Um, so Nikki Haley's in the caucuses. Donald Trump's not on the ballot. She is. And then they have this box to check none of the above. <laughs> and she loses to none of the above 63% say they'd rather have anybody but her. How <laughs> how does her campaign go on from here with any with a straight face?
0: Look, Nikki Haley's effort uh at this point, you know, I was in Iowa, I was in New Hampshire, and the Nikki Haley campaign is a campaign of saying, "Hey, it could be worse." It could be worse. We could have done worse. We could have certainly done worse. And I think that with the Nevada result, you've kind of reached the limit. Like you can't do any worse than losing to nobody. Um, You know, but this is just a sign of how much the Republican base really wants to uh, nominate Donald Trump for president again. And I will say the flip side of that coin is that the fact that Nikki Haley is able to keep going is an indication of just how much – Many people in the Republican establishment do not want Donald Trump to be the nominee. This tension that's in that party is playing out between these two people because Nikki Haley can raise money very, very easily, despite these, you know, I mean, honestly, face plants. I mean, you know, you lose New Hampshire by double digits, despite the fact that the governor is following you around for five days. You lose um, Iowa, you know, you come in third in Iowa, despite the fact that polls are showing you doing pretty well. You then come into nobody, you know, you lose to nobody in Nevada. Not good results all around, but she's able to raise money because people are still – many Republicans in the establishment are still very nervous about the idea of Donald Trump being a nominee, and they don't think that that's very good for them in, in, in the fall. So really what you're looking at is kind of like the, the existential crisis going on inside the whole Republican Party but with two people. The base really wants yeah. Trump. They're, they're, they're ready, and they're ready to go. The establishment's like, well, maybe we just have Haley hang on a little bit longer. Maybe we'll find that magic place where she can take over.
1: Uh, So if it's not all over now, is it all over after South Carolina?
0: I mean, you'd have to ask her, but uh, (laughs) so far, nothing has seemed to uh, have her drop out. But I, I do think losing in her home state might be pretty tough. (laughs)
1: And it looks like that's the way it's headed. All right. Well, what a great roundup of the week and a great big thank you to today's panelists. But before we let you go, um, there's always one story, as we say, that uh, as fast as we're running, one thing that kind of stops us in our tracks and say, holy crap, Um, makes us laugh or cry or just think about it. We call it our favorite story of the week. Um,
3: Igor, what caught your attention particularly? Well, Bill, my favorite story of the week is uh, the Super Bowl, uh, obviously, <laughs> this weekend. Um, and I, unfortunately, it looks like I'm going to spend the Super Bowl watching it out of the Senate because uh, yeah, the Senate has got to vote on this Ukraine and Israel bill and uh, has not been able to get their ducks in a row. But the story I wanted to highlight was uh, the fact that a man who, uh, who climbed to the top of the uh, the sphere in Vegas, uh, was arrested this week and was taken into custody. Uh, the sphere obviously, uh, is this giant mega entertainment center they built in Vegas and, uh, Brand new, brand new, brand new. new. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually went a couple months ago and it's, it's stunning. It's, I saw this, uh, sort of like uh space show and it's, it's just insane. But the reason why I bring this up is of course, Bill, you know, things must be getting really bad for Mike Johnson. Uh, you know, this, this report is true, right? You mean that
1: the guy who climbed to the top of the sphere? So you're wait a minute. You're talking about the Super Bowl, and you didn't even mention Taylor Swift. Oh well, Taylor, I, I'm I'm I'll take the I'll take the football. <laughs>
3: okay, good. Uh,
1: Disagree. That's Disagree. Uh, John Bennett, um, in the sports world, <laughs> Igor's taking us to the sports world. That's where you always take us, John Bennett your favorite, should I say, news uh, sports story of the week.
2: Yeah, I'm going to take us to sports and entertainment and Ah. the world of WWE and want to reference a column I wrote um, late last year for Roll Call um, just raising the possibility and talking to folks about um, whether Democrats needed to think about running a celebrity like Dwayne The Rock Johnson um, I, there was some re- receptive uh, folks uh, when I wrote that column that I talked to and uh, other outlets uh, followed on with their own reporting that, yeah, that was something that Democrats thought it was a rough time for Biden. Uh, I believe that was early December, uh, just a particular rough time. But since then, The Rock has returned to WWE and looks like he will be in the main event at WrestleMania or in heavily involved, uh, not quite sure yet, but complicating some Democrats wish that he maybe be the nominee or, or or be somehow more involved in the campaign. Last night at an event in Las Vegas, The Rock turned heel. He, mm. he came back as, as what they call a baby face with the crowd going crazy and chanting his name. And the way this has played out, uh, they have chosen to have The Rock Go from now until April. This is when WrestleMania is as a bad guy, and boy, I don't know how you launch a presidential campaign after smacking Cody Rose like he did last night. No. <laughs> All right. The Rock's a good guy.
1: That's, that's good. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any threat that he'll be. Uh, the Democratic Party nominee at <laughs> any rate. All right, Evan mcmorris Santoro, top that for your favorite story of the
0: week. You know, I feel awful because like Igor's got a guy climbing the giant eyeball spear thing and John's got the the rock smacking people around and you know gaffing his way out of the presidency. I just wanted to highlight, you know, I'm the new guy here and I'm from the new publication, notice org. I just wanted to highlight one of the stories that we're doing that showcases the kind of work we're trying to do at a okay. publication. We're trying to do the kind of news uh that you don't see other places, that you don't see other people take a lot of time to try to report out. My colleagues, Byron Tao, Maggie Severns, and Jasmine, who I mentioned earlier, are up with this really fascinating story about American public record laws. It's not as sexy at all as the <laughs> two things that and John brought up. <laughs> but it's as fascinating, I have to say it's, it's a fascinating look at all of us who are speaking, you're know, talking so much now about the historical implications of the week that we've been living through and these presidencies in this campaign, that just how rickety uh, our public record laws are when it comes to keeping up with presidential records in a modern way. It's a great deep dive. It's a very fascinating story. And it's the kind of thing you're only going to see on notice. And it mm-hmm. is free. We have no paywall. notus.org <laughs> dot org. Check it out. That's my tip of the week.
1: All right. And uh, we're happy to give you the plug for <laughs> notice, <laughs> N-O-T-U-S uh, dot org. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure the article says you do not stuff your public documents or your presidential documents in your garage. <laughs> uh, yeah, not a great idea. Yeah, yeah, not a great idea. All right. I got to say my favorite story of the week. We go back to this vote on the impeachment of Mallorcas. Republicans obviously fell short because they couldn't count or they didn't try to count. Uh, and they were missing a few members. They were missing Steve Scalic because he's just dealing with the cancer issue. But they were also missing George Santos, whom they threw out. We remember George Santos, the famous astronaut, the world-famous um, um, architect, uh, the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize last year. That George Santos. Uh, when they failed by two votes in the House, George Santos tweeted out to his fellow former Colleagues in the House GOP, this little tweet saying, Miss me yet? (laughs) <laughs> me they could have used his vote and they didn't have it and i i didn't realize santos had a sense of humor but i thought that was a very funny moment to kind of capping recapping the whole fiasco there <laughs> miss me yet i'll, <laughs> I'll be back with
0: the rock right bill <laughs>
1: yeah exactly okay and with that again igor Babish from huff post john bennett cq roll call evan mcmorris santoro from notice notice.org thank you panelists for a great job and thanks to all of our good friends for listening today and joining us on today's reporters roundtable and we'll be back on tuesday with the next edition of the bill press pod very excited we're going to be talking to a freshman member of congress jared Moskowitz from florida uh he's a member of the oversight committee yes he's the guy on the oversight committee who drives chairman james comer crazy uh jared Moskowitz coming up on tuesday have a great weekend everybody um I won't say whom I I hope wins the uh, Super Bowl, but I am from California, so maybe that will give you an indication. Sorry, Taylor. Uh, Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.